Welcome back to your Midwest Garden Podcast. Today, it's all about cold weather crops. So grab your notebooks and settle in. I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy, along with freshman gardener Scott. Today is all about cool weather crops, some tips and tricks to make your harvest a success. Hey, Mike, Mike, I got one for you. Okay, go ahead. With the recent foot of ice and snow the Midwest got a couple days ago. Is this going to be Midwest humor? I think we should all start with iceberg lettuce. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, Mike, I'm here all week because <laughs> it's my studio. I think this is more humorous. We'll leave that one alone. Anyway, today is a celebration of sorts. This episode marks our last season one episode. March starts season two, or dose, as we mentioned previously in each episode in season two. We're going to feature our Mike's Mail question, a mini version of our full show. So everyone, please send in your questions either via voicemail, where we can use you on air, at 567-318-2325 or email us at yourmidwestgarden at B-E-X dot N-E-T. All that information will be in the show notes. Don't worry. Relax your fingers. Put your pens down. Plus, the other exciting news. Remember I couldn't announce some of this stuff last week, last show? We're going to be adding another show each week. It's just a quick tip episode. Just a quick one subject, getting straight to the point topic, like, let's say like dandelions. What do you want to do with them? Yeah, you keep them, get rid of them. Or like Dave Slivy can come on and talk about them. You getting, mean the lawn service guy? Yeah. like He yells. <laughs> he doesn't yell. He does. He <laughs> has a tendency to throw his weight around. Anyway, but you know, the dandelions is a good one. It's just going to be a short one-stop shop episode that's easy to find when you need it, when you do the search. That sounds good. Yeah, good times. All right, where are we going to go with this right now? Do you want to talk cool weather crops, plants, etc.? Yes, I do. I know you had a question, and since you're going to be capitalizing on your ignorance, which isn't a bad word, it just means that you want to learn, but you, a lot of people are afraid to ask about them. Um, you had a question. Yeah, when you brought up the subject, I'm like, I know nothing about this. Well, that's why you're here, right? I still know nothing about this. Well, but one thing I did, I, I, you know, Scott, and he does his homework. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> I think we need to discuss, because I found out this is not just a spring thing. You can do it in the fall, too. And, I mean, and but wait a minute. Before we even get to I mean, there's two Ooh. times you can do a harvest. But I'm a little confused when they're talking about cool weather plants. I mean, in the Midwest, I mean, you can't really have that many flowering or blossoming plants. I'm, are we just talking veggies? Well, uh, a veggie's a plant, and so's an yeah. impatient, and so's a perennial flower, daisies, so's a hydrangea. I mean, cool weather plants, let's start with uh, making it really quick and simple. Cool weather plants, we've got to grow up here. In other words, rhododendrons, azaleas, those are cool weather. They bloom for you because we're in the Midwest. You're talking hydrangeas. They have cooler temperatures and cooler climates that are not going to be tolerant down south where they get up to 98 and 110 degree temperatures. So the difference between 
let's say a cool weather plant and a cool, cool weather vegetable, there is just that the cool weather vegetable you can harvest twice in one season in the cooler temperatures. We have a limited growing season here in Northwest Ohio, Southeast Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Indiana, Illinois. These places have a tendency to only have a good maybe four months of good growing weather. So we've got to critically not make this difficult, but understandable. Like you're asking, what determines a cool weather vegetable? Is that, am I in the right direction? You're in the right direction. I was just talking about when people, when you're talking to somebody in the Midwest, is it just a default that when you talk cool weather plants, you're, you're already going to a vegetable, not necessarily like a colorful pansy or something like that. Well, here it is. When you talk cool weather plants in, let's say, uh, Michigan, uh, they're immediately going to be thinking vegetables. When you're talking cool weather plants south of the Mason-Dixon line, right? you're talking anything from an endless summer hydrangea all the way up to okay. uh, broccoli. Yeah. So, so, my, so my thought is correct that yeah, when, when you said, Scott, I want to talk about cool weather plants— it's really, at least for us on this Midwest Garden podcast, it's vegetables. Right. Now it's pot you, versus soda. Yeah. You weren't referencing. I wasn't referencing. Pansies that, uh, the, or. What, no. Some no, other. pansy is a cool weather plant, but yeah, it's going to give you the pretty. Yeah, but that's not what you were kind of going for. Right. right? No, no. Okay. And, and, you know, in the industry, that's basically, if you go over to most independent garden centers, uh any of the, the master nurseries uh, that are providing the materials such as a bumper crop and things of that nature, when you refer to cool weather plants, you're usually referring to vegetables or something that you can basically go ahead and eat and plant and have a harvest two times a season. One harvest is usually going to be around late spring, uh, early summer. The next harvest is going to be anywhere from Halloween all the way up to, let's say, Christmas, where some of the people were growing greens this year, which is a cool weather plant also. So it really depends on, you know, if you can strategically go ahead and put something out. Now, I'm not going to tell somebody to go and put eight different varieties of cool weather plants unless they're pretty darn good at growing things. But I'd like you to, you know, like you, Scott, to go ahead and, you know, play with some of this. Plant some peas. Watch them. What are some of the easiest the easiest are the peas, for instance. Um, spinach, uh, kale. Kale you can use as flowering kale. What it doesn't flower, but it gives different colors on the leaves. Mm-hmm. Kale is technically a cabbage. All you got to do is drop it into the ground seed-wise, watch it grow. Let it take its own course. You can throw those outside in the seed. If you wanted to, you can start them early indoors. And I would prefer you do it that way because you're going to get the immediate gratification. And those are the plants, basically, that aren't going to be susceptible to any of the hard frosts. Um, the tomatoes, yeah, they're going to be susceptible to it. They're not the cool weather vegetables that we're referring to. Right. Right. Okay. So you mentioned starting them indoors, which you don't have to do. So if, if I'm just getting started, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to wait till the outside. Sure. Okay. So I have a list here of some of these that have the maturity dates to harvest. Go ahead. So most of them are between 50 and 75 days. Month and a half, so, two and a half months, I mean. So come on, I can start those outside and, I mean, that's simple. One, yeah, two, you three. can, provided you do the right ones. I mean, I don't want you to take marigolds and put them out in the seed form and then let them, t- you got to start those now and then put them out at a moderately mature plant. Whereas 
And those are edible, believe it or not. You I was just going to say, wait, marigolds. Yeah, well, that's but... why I'm throwing that out. Pansies are edible as well. What Any of the flowering plants that you, uh, let me backtrack. Any plant that's going to produce a flower is going to produce a fruit. But a lot of these cool weather plants are not going to produce flower. For instance, Brussels sprouts. Well, the Brussels sprout basically is the seed pot or the flower in itself on that plant. Now, you can also go down to uh, onions or you can go to peas and beans. Now, those are going to produce a flower, but let's say with the onion, if you allow them to go to flower, which is going to be later on in the season when it gets warmer, it's going to be an iffy, iffy situation because it's going to stop basically producing the tuber but go to seed. The flower will produce a seed and an onion. On the snap peas, you have to have the flower in order to produce the fruit. Okay. So, so here's where we're going on to cool weather plants. I don't want to make this difficult. Lettuce, for instance. If you want to start them indoors or like you, Scott, you want to start it outdoors, the only thing I'm more concerned about are the little critters called bunny rabbits that are going to come out at night. Right. Because You, you did talk about this yeah. with Annie. Yeah. That if they were if they were above ground a couple inches or whatever, the rabbits wouldn't necessarily bother them as much if they were coming up straight from seed? Well, yeah, if you're doing it, well, from seed, they're going to get to their hardening stage. If you're you're impatient and you want to have your plants ready to go outside that's going to show some signs of decent growth for your garden, you know, you're going to wait. You're going to probably start them indoors now. You're then going to take them and put them out probably the first week or two, and this is cool other plants, end of of March, first part of April, from St. Patrick's Day till about, Oh, I want to say the 15th of April, if you can, put them out. They're going to produce. And you'll be able to harvest them usually around the end of uh, June, First, I mean, end of uh, May, first part of June, into mid-June. Now, when it comes down to the bunny rabbits, if you start your Scott outside and they start to come up, that's wonderful. But the rabbits in general will like to go with the most tender leaf on that. This is like for them going to a five-star restaurant. Right. You're putting it out there. They're saying, hey, there's a neon sign out here. Guess what I found? A gold mine of lettuce, a gold mine of, uh, of cucumbers that we're putting out from seed. Now, I'm not going to suggest that. I mean, we've even got you know critters such as woodchucks that are going to come out, and they're going to either early morning or early evening, well, late evening, and then start munching at them. I would prefer, like we did with Annie earlier, to wait until the second set of hard leaves are there to put them outside if you're going to start them indoors. If you're going to start them outdoors in the ground, make sure that you can give them some type of protection so the little bunny rabbits don't have access to them. That's the big biggest difference. That's the biggest difference. I mean, because, you know, 60 days is nothing. I mean... No, and they're going to find so, other things to go for. I mean, if you've got yourself, uh, you know, let's say lettuce that you you want to, well, they're they're going to go for it when it's just, you know, that most tender new um, primary gotcha. and secondary leaves. Once they start to get a little fuller, they're going to go to something more delicious, like their, you know, peppers or cucumbers or things of that nature. So you mentioned onions, mm-hmm. and I saw a tip that said to hang onions in the nylon stockings, and you put a knot between them. I assume so they don't touch. Well, that's part of it, if you want. Now, as they're growing, see, some people even take the the, the chive. The, the chive is the green stalk that's up there, mm-hmm. and they pinch it over. Now, why do they do that? They do that primarily so that you can have a larger, it's like a water balloon filling oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's going to fill up instead of putting more of those nutrients and all that energy into the chive, it's going to keep it in the, in, in the onion down below. And 
people do that all the time, and it's not necessarily going to hurt the plant. Just make sure that the chive is tall enough and mature enough so that it doesn't, you know, you're still going to be able to create photosynthesis. Now, mind you, let's say you're going to do the nylon. Um, the nylon you can get away with. It's usually used as a, a, people use that for like their tomatoes to stake them up for their peas to start them so they get strong enough to go up. But when it comes inside the nylon, that's going to create a little bit of a problem because a lot of people want to use it like it's, you know, the toe end first. No, 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 no. We're going to recommend the nylon for a number of things. Number one, it's going to be used as some type of a, a, a securing factor for the, for the plant, you know, for the chive itself. Also, as a deterrent. Now, when you were referring to using the nylon, you were use, referring it as what? As post-harvest? Yes. So why? So that it... Go on. You, uh, no, I, I thought post I harvest, said... you harvest for post-harvest, and you can keep them, you can dry, you can get that different layer, the harder layer on the outside, work its way in. There's about 25 different layers on that. Now, here's the thing. you got to let that develop into a large tuber down below before you pop them out. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? You look to see the, the, the thing start to pop its way out of the ground. Sometimes you don't, but you can stick your finger into the, into the ground, and we can get to that usually about the end of... Um, Oh, May, first part of June, to remind people what to do. Because if you allow the flower to, to form up top, it's going to stop producing down below, and it's going to start focusing on seed. Focusing on, yeah. So that, but things like the snap peas. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I, I go need ahead. you to stop. Oh, I need to stop. Okay, Be stop, Mike. You mentioned, you mentioned something on Facebook or posted something about uh, onion and the number of layers. What yeah. was that about? Well, you've heard, you know, the, the, the onion itself, it comes in different layers. I mean, you've got to allow the thing to have a harder outside. Um, let's start in the beginning. People generally, you like, well, you, you drink your tequila, but let's say you're a beer drinker watching a baseball game. Some people like just going out and popping out a couple of scallions. A scallion is an onion that basically they don't allow to mature, but you can go ahead and dip it in salt, take a bite out of it, chew it for a while, and guzzle a beer down. It, there's nothing better than that. And I got one for you. But okay. Go, I got a follow-up to that. Well, in ahead. essence, I mean, they got seed starts for the onions. You can either start with little itty-bitty seeds and have those real fine scallions or you can and put them in the ground. If you put them in the ground, they're going to produce a little bit more of a scallion than they will of the larger slicing onion. Now, if you take the seed start onions that are little itty-bitty onions that you've seen people make cream onion soup out of them, mm -hmm. um, basically you put those in the ground, let them root, let them start to perform or give off the chive, let the chive get to about 10 inches plus, then pinch it over. It's going to cause it to swell. Then each of the, the swelling, you're going to have layers of you sliced an onion before, or yeah. your wife has shown you how to slice onions before. Oh, no, before. I've been doing it. Okay, you slice it, and you see that there's different layers to that onion. The outermost layer is like a paper crispy portion of it. Once you put it in that nylon, let it hang and dry. Then the next layer is going to be a little less papery, but it's still going to be dark. The third or fourth layer is going to be the meat that you and I are going to want to eat to put in to saute with butter, and just let that simmer. And then have you ever had onions with liver? Oh, it's delicious. All right, I got to stop. That, but anyway, the layers. Did I answer your layer situation? Well, you answered the layer situation, but wasn't that article relating something? The number of layers is a number of... Keep going. 
I don't remember. That's why well, I'm asking. Well, I'd say the, the number of layers is like the uh, rings on a tree. Oh, there you go. Okay. Okay. So it, it, it gives you- It was an age thing. Okay. Yeah. It, okay. it basically expresses how long it's been in the- There's different characteristics, and I'm not so sure as to what they are as far as how thick the layer is, as well as how many they are. It's going to tell you generally how many weeks old it is. All right. So everybody jump on the Facebook page and scroll down a little bit and you'll see what and Mike And then look posted. what Mike put on there. Oh, so I got to get back to my example. When you're talking about chugging beer. Yeah. So my college roommate, first year I went to college. You can remember that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I tell the story all the time because my kids laugh at me. So he's, he's from McClure, Ohio, and it's a farming community. And they have what they call the Radish Festival. And I'm like, what is the Radish Festival? And he goes, man, come on down with us. I'll take you. Come on down. Spend the weekend. And so we go down, and it was basically a festival. And it was, you get a pitcher of beer, not a glass. There's no glass. They give you a pitcher of beer. And, well, that's what we did. And then there are 55-gallon drums filled with radishes in oh cold water. <laughs> and you just go pop a radish, chug a beer, pop a radish, chug well, a beer. they're tangy. Oh, and, it was, we had a great time. I can imagine. Fun. I mean, well, now where's this at? McClure, Ohio? McClure, Ohio. Oh, well, we've got to look that up on ne the map. Nap near Napoleon. It's going to be a great excuse because I know they have cherry festivals. They have apple butter festivals and that sort of thing. And those are the things you want to talk about toward the time of harvest. Oh, there um, you go. But in essence, when it comes down to, I mean, you know, we're talking about growing organically too. Or naturally, if you prefer to do it that way. Um, we we prefer you go ahead and go to, like, you know, any kind of organic matter. And we're going to pump the bumper crop. But it, you don't have to do the whole area with the bumper crop. I mean, when you're planting an already established start, I'm talking something that you're starting right now indoors. Right. And you go ahead in the end of March, first part of April, and put it outdoors. You don't have to do the whole area with the bumper crop. Just do the row that you're going to be planting them in. Right. Mix it into the soil, and that's just probably one of the greatest kickstarts in the world. Now, uh, yeah, um, I interrupted you about peas, snap peas. No, thank you. I already went before I got it here. <laughs> I interrupted your discussion about snap peas. Well, yeah, but it says you got to eat them right away for their sweetness. And they're, have you, you've never done this. I know you haven't. No. It's it's sugar snap peas, snap um, the Crackle bean. and pop. Well, no, it's I'm serious. It's It's... You can talk cereal if you want to, but it doesn't really go well with cereal. If you're out there in the middle, let's say it's a, the first warm day in late spring, early summer, and you see the pods of peas that are out there, you don't have to cook them. You don't have to do what mom did. You can just pick them right off and put it in your mouth and chew on it. They're fibrous, like the beans also, they're fibrous. It'll work like a piece of chewing gum. You can continue to chew it and chew it. Yes, swallow it. You get the fiber from the from the vegetable, but it's also sweet. I mean, there's nothing better. I don't think anybody out there has really had a very or a sure real sweet pea. The snap peas are, are, are delicious. There's about 25 different varieties you can grow out there. Out of those 25, I would say probably 80% of them are, are, are hybrids, meaning that, you know, they're genetically modified. Mm -hmm. But the standards that Gramps and Great Gramps used to put in, go with the sugar snaps. I mean, the beans, the peas, this sort of thing. And you know what? The hybrids are the bush, bush form of the beans. Uh, I would prefer if you wanted to, if you had something that they can climb up on. You've seen these uh, yards where they've had twine that was string up and down, up and down, up and down from uh, one, one pole to another pole. 
and it allows for the beans to climb or the peas to climb. I would prefer, if you could, to get some type of netting that they can climb and staple it onto tomato sticks and let them just have their way if you don't have a fence. If you do have a fence, like a chain link, put them right there next to the fence. Either And these are the ones that I'm going to suggest you start with the pea itself from the seed. You don't want to do it from the plant because they're going to grow too fast, and then they'll end up damping off. Now, do you remember from your freshman homework what damping off means? Tapping off. Damping. Damping off. Damping off. Okay, we're going to refresh your memory. Yeah. Damping off is where the plant grows too fast, and it takes in too much moisture, and it ends up not allowing itself to produce or make food. So it starts to wither. And people try to give it more water and more water and more water, and they're not helping it any. You use the pea, you use the bean, you put it out in the yard, you let it start to sprout and grow. Try to protect it from the elements, i.e. the bunny rabbits, the woodchucks, and that thing, until they start the vine. When they start the vine and they take hold, they get bitter. The, the, the varmints don't usually munch on them. But then you can go ahead and use the natural products to, to allow them to stimulate their growth even further, plus the natural ingredients to produce flour. When you have more flour, you're going to have more, more vegetable or more fruit. So I, I do I have another question that I was confused about a little bit in my homework. So I found out that cauliflower is vulnerable to temperature fluctuations. Mm -hmm. So what kind of temperature fluctuations if this is technically a cool weather plant? Remember when I told you that the Brussels sprouts, the sprouts themselves, that little, you know, looks like a dark green seedy thing. Uh, cauliflower basically does the same thing, but they're all related to the cabbage. And a cabbage is definitely going to be a cool weather plant. But when you produce that little... Uh, flower that's in the center there, mm -hmm. which is the cauliflower or which is the Brussels sprout, when they're exposed to fluctuation, let's say cool nights or cold nights, uh, cold nights are going to slow it down a little bit. Uh, when it goes from cool nights and days to warm days, now we've had our warm days, uh, gosh, it could go up to 80 degrees in the middle of April, you know, when it goes to that and then it goes back to cool it'll end up stunting the development of the cauliflower itself, plus it will burn it. Um, nobody wants to eat an ugly-looking brown cauliflower. So if you want to, when you start to notice that head form, what you should do is take the leaves, fold them over, and take that nylon again and lightly tie it or secure it to protect that flower. Use the leaves to protect it from the fluctuating elements. If you notice that you're watching on the weather report or you get online and it's going to go from, eh, you know, 58 degrees, but for the next three days, we're going to be in the high 70s, low 80s. Definitely take that nylon, take the leaves, fold it over, and give it a, you know, a light little tie back so that it protects it from those elements, from the heat. Uh, when you get the radiant heat, and we in the Midwest are humid as all get out. When you combine humidity with the heat, it basically cooks that tender uh, flour. Mm, okay. All right. And then that's something I came across also related to weather fluctuations is lettuce is sweet when it matures in cold weather. And then warm air makes it turn it hardens. bitter. It hardens, right. So their suggestion was to go ahead and harvest it if you know it's going to be warm weather for a while, consistent and then harvest that, store it in the fridge in order to keep that lettuce sweet. That's why they call them crispers. You know, in the refrigerator that yeah. you've got, that's a crisper. It's going to keep and retain the sweetness. Now, 
It's not. I mean, you can go ahead and wash it and you can rinse it off. I don't want water to be inside one of these plastic Ziploc bags that you put it into. If you can, put it in a strainer, make sure it's as dry as possible, and then put it in there. Water is going to help break it down a little bit, and it's not going to be able to process it. If you can, just go ahead and just leave the driest portions that you can. Put it in the Ziploc bag, and then put it in the crisper. It uh, helps to retain the, the the crispiness and the sweetness. Yeah. In the summer, spring slash summertime, the cool weather lettuce, we'll say, uh, if, you don't, if you know that it's going to get up to 85 degrees for about four days straight, and your leaves are pretty well decent looking, go ahead and harvest some of them. I mean, you can even harvest a majority of them. They will return if we go back down to the cooler temperature. But if it stays hot, I'm not going to recommend you you have any, well, I'm not going to even recommend you even bother with it. Just harvest the whole thing. Um, yeah. Same same true with the cabbage. But in the fall, when you plant these, let's say in sep- uh, early September, late August, if you're starting it again, you can harvest those all the way up into December. I mean, the Thomas Jackson with the Urban Agriculture Farming uh, Sustainable, he was harvesting his greens, which is like a cabbage in itself, the collard greens, all the way to th- uh, not Thanksgiving, Christmas, the middle to the end of December before wow. we started going into the real cold. So that's, that's one crazy. of the benefits of the cool weather vegetables. So, and you said you were telling me on the phone the other day that you had an interesting On the trick. Brussels sprouts? Yeah. Was it Brussels sprouts or asparagus? Sprouts. The Brussels sprouts, basically, you can play with too. Um, you got to, here's the deal. What you do is you prevent it from getting one single stalk. You can crimp it down, give it a haircut, and then allow that thing to stimulate more of a head than it does leaf. In other words, you know, the, the, the Brussels mm-hmm. sprouts in them. So, uh, you got broccoli, you got Brussels sprouts, you got cabbage, you've got, these are all the cool weather, but the Brussels sprouts in itself, I don't want it to get tall and lanky. I would like it. You've got, they're little itty bitty cabbages. And the more you crop the top, the more bushy it gets. The more bushy it gets, the more crown you're going to have. The more crown you're going to have, the more little sprouts you're going to get. So, so if I want to harvest those and I want those to get big, well, how, how long do you suggest? I, you... I don't recommend you allow them to go too long. I mean, those two can go into December too. I mean, you can leave, okay. them, leave them to grow all season long for you, but just when it starts getting warm, middle of the end of June, all the way through August, you're not going to see a whole bunch. Um, but come the end of the season, when it starts getting cooler, you're going to start seeing the production of the Brussels sprouts again. And they can last all the way into the first, not frost, the very first killing freeze. I mean, sub-freezing temperatures on a steady basis. And that, that, that they make great eats. They do. But I don't want you to allow them to get lanky. Don't be afraid to cut. Don't be afraid. When you see that, there's a spear that's going to come up. You cut it, and that's going to stimulate newer spears that are going to come out. So preventing it from going one to two great big stalks that's going to produce maybe 20 little Brussels sprouts, I want you to do about five to seven of them if you can. And then you're going to have instead of five to seven Brussels sprouts, you're going to end up having, well, you multiply five times five is going to be 25. I mean, you're going to have a bunch of them. Okay. Did it make sense? You have that look Uh, on your face. Once I listen back to the show, I'm sure it will make sense. Okay, I hope it does. The Brussels sprouts, some people can't stand them. I mean, George Bush Sr. couldn't stand them. He, he even passed out at some Chinese dinner that had him, or Japanese dinner, and he just fell on the floor. I mean, but 
Nothing better than a Brussels sprout butter. I like Brussels sprouts. Oh, they're good. They're little itty bitty cabbages that you're eating whole. So one thing, one last thing that I learned. Go. (laughs) Share the wealth. One last thing that I learned is that don't get depressed about what your cool weather plants look like because especially like lettuce heads and broccoli, they're not going to be as big as the grocery store because the grocery store has ideal, their growers have ideal growing conditions. There are situations where you can play with, not play with mother nature, but let her cooperate with you. There's nutrients that you can put in to make things either larger or more prolific. You can produce more leaf if you wanted to, like IE in the cabbage. You can produce more flour, like IE the beans and peas. Um, you can produce more of a tuber or um, an onion, for instance. I mean, nitrogen makes the green grow. So you're going to use that more so with lettuce and cabbage. You're going to use it for kale. You're going to use it for greens. Anything that's going to be, and, and I don't want you to overabuse it, but something that's higher nitrogen content. The phosphorus, and a natural phosphorus, if you use it properly, is going to stimulate more flour. The potassium is going to stimulate more of like for the carrot, the potato, um, the radishes, anything that grows below the ground. So, I mean, if you use the nutrients appropriately and don't abuse it, uh, the plant's only going to use so much. You can stimulate like your broccoli, well, say your Brussels sprouts, you want to make them huge. Well, then in that case, why don't you just go with the cabbage? If you want them even bigger than what you can get normally, instead of getting a thousand little itty bitty the size of a nickel, you can get them about the size of a 50 cent piece. But you can play with that too. I mean, that's going to be whatever nutrients you, whatever concoction you come up with. I'm going to aim for the Susan B. Anthony dollar size. That's, well, it's octagon, not octagon. How many sides are on that? Eight? That's octagon. That's octagon. Yeah. Okay, you can go for that. An octagonal Brussels sprout? Hey. All right, Scott. Let's I do. I it. do the best at growing deformed Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you know, on your onion, I that, like way, that way. That way, I'm not disappointed. Well, no, I mean you can make them oblong if you wanted to, it, but it doesn't play. matter as long as they taste good. Well, that's, I mean, it's okay. not like I'm serving them at a restaurant. I'm the, just eating them for myself. The more have you noticed? You no, know, maybe you haven't, but you're going to notice if you go the more natural ingredients that you put into the soil, the more organic nutrients that you put in, the better tasting, let's say your tomato is going to be the better tasting, your onion is going to be the better. You can go with these synthetic products and yeah, you can have uh, the most beautiful looking tomatoes, but they don't taste anything like the ones that you grew with the organic nutrients that you've been using. So, I mean, in this case, if you want to be able to do things better than Grabs did, which nobody in the world will ever be able to do until they get really good at it, um, you, you play with what natural nutrients you can come up with. I mean, there's things, for instance, I put up on our website, um, not even, well, yeah, on the Facebook page, basically, something about um, saving your eggshells. Yeah. Now, what is inside the the eggshells? Two things. They're potassium and calcium. And those are micronutrients that plants generally are lacking, especially in the Midwest. Uh, If you've got clay soil, it's going to be harder than heck for the clay soil to release it. You can incorporate that into the soil, but I'd like you to do it as soon as you possibly can so it starts to break down sooner instead of you don't put it in there the same time you're putting your plants in there. So by the time they really need it, it's going to absorb into their system. Great to prevent to prevent uh, blossom end rot on, on your tomatoes too. Yeah, I was going to answer what's inside the eggshells. 
breakfast and brunch. Oh my God. Scott. <laughs> okay. You're going to stay a freshman for a while. Keep my day job. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> hanging the, I wanted to get back to hanging the onions in a nylon one more time though. When you, when you tie a knot in between each one of those onions, have you ever noticed when you were at the grocery store, do you shop for your onions or things of this nature at the fresh produce or you haven't even noticed next time you go to the grocery store? Yeah. They're just in a see, bin. They're in a bin, but you're going to see them with brown spots on them. And those brown spots is when the onions have have collided for too long or been in a container for too long, when they're bumping against each other, it's kind of like a bruise. Yeah. Let's say a bruise on a peach or a banana. But in this case, if you tie a knot in between on the nylon, now, I don't know where you're going to get them, whether they're from your daughter or your wife. Make sure you let them know you're going to use them to harvest things first and make sure that they're done with them, okay? But when you tie a knot, you can get plenty of onions. Do you have enough room in your garage to hang them, to keep them separate? If I was going to grow them, probably. Oh, I mean, you're not going to grow any onions? No, I, I can't do everything we talk on every episode about, Mike. <sighs> I grew, now see, I don't belong, I don't live in an area where we have a homeowners association where they're going to tell me what to grow and or whether I can or cannot grow anything. And, you know, I've, I've even grown, grown, like I told Annie when we were talking, I had my tomatoes out in the front yard. It was cool. Mixed in with some hydrangeas and those tomatoes bright red. Yeah, baby. Made it look like I knew what I was talking about. Any uh, parting words of wisdom for cool weather plants? Maybe? I don't want anybody to be afraid. Remember, we were talking both with Annie and, oh, I think it was two episodes ago where we were talking, read the back of the package, get them and read the back and find out when their harvesting dates are, how long it's going to take. Don't be afraid to experiment. I mean, and don't, don't be afraid for things to fail, uh, especially with damping off. Just remember, if you're going to start things from seed, you got a bunch more. You're not going to use all the seed. Save some for when there is an oops and a boo-boo. Oh, yeah. Good idea. Yeah. I mean, it's— I mean, it, you get a ton of them anyway, so might as well— And if you if you stick with the heirlooms you're and you save the seeds— I mean, you save them, you can grow those for next year with the same ones. I mean, you're not going to save a whole bunch, but you know exactly what you're going to be putting in the ground and what you're going to be eventually putting into your mouth. All right, everybody. Mike has spoken. I have, haven't I? I can't place enough emphasis on when there's a question to use that number that Scott basically threw out. And that's what, 567-318-2325? That is it. Or you can email at your Midwest, your Midwest Garden at BEX.net. And don't forget to contact, let's say, your independent Mapa Garden Centers for, for the bumper crop from Master Gardens or Master Nurseries and anything that they happen to have, because I'm telling you, it's good schmutz. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up Season 1. Bravo! Yay! Of your Midwest Garden Podcast. I think we're going to make, I think basically this is going to be a good kickstart because of COVID, because people want to get outdoors, but we're basically redefining backyard living. March starts Season 2. We're looking forward to it. We've talked about the little differences in the format. We've got some nice things coming up, everybody, so hang with us. Not only are they going to be entertaining, but they'll be very educational. Right, we're all about education. I'm about entertainment. All right. See you, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Your Midwest Garden. If you like today's conversation, please share this podcast with friends and family. 
And don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Plus, if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our sponsor's Facebook page, which is Black Diamond Garden Center, and message them your topic idea. For all of us at your Midwest Garden Podcast, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation.